You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and... Uh, recently, I was at the FinCon conference that you guys hear about in most episodes, and I spoke on um, how I had my journey from where I started my blog, where I started my career, to where I'm, what I'm doing now full-time, making my living working online. And when I kicked that off, I started with a little story. I said, uh, you know, when, I, when I was little, I was about two years old, and people asked what I wanted to grow up, be when I grew up, I said a gynecologist, which was kind of funny because I was, um, my, my mom was, was going through in vitro at the time, which was still very new. That, that's, my sister was one of the first in vitro babies in the world. But um, that was what I was exposed to. And we have a guest on with us today. You just heard a little giggle out of him. David Rubenstein from Credit Forums. And I was reading his bio, reading about his background, and he spent over a decade practicing law, transaction law at a large law firm. And I was thinking, I, I bet you, like gynecologists, not many kids say, I want to be a transaction lawyer when they grow up. But that's not what he's doing today. So, David, say hello. Well, I want to talk about how you started and got into transaction law and then got on your journey to credit forums. But before we do that, say hello. Um, you know, give, give everyone like a, a little like, you know, the 15 second elevator speech just about you, where you're from and what you're up to. Okay, well, Eric, first, thank you for having me on. Uh, you have a great podcast. And I mean, my journey, I guess, is pretty simple. Grew up in New York, uh, went to college, went to law school, ended up working uh, in DC out of law school. I, I think I ended up in a transactional practice. I, my, my favorite classes in law school were not constitutional law or civil procedure. It was actually, I enjoyed most uh, my tax class, my corporations class, classes about trademark law. I mean, I just um, happened to end up in, in D.C. in 1997, and things were just popping there at that time. A lot going on. In, well, I was uh, in, in, in the dot-com boom years. So, there was, yes, there was a whole yes. lot going on in, uh, in corporate mergers and acquisitions and that whole world. So, was, is that what you were focused on? What was your, what was your yeah, primary spent, focus? Yeah, I spent several years uh, in a venture capital group um, at that time. Um, and we did, you know, we were working with VC firms. We had small, smart, uh, small startup companies as clients. We were working on big M and A deals, companies going public. In fact, uh, T-Mobile. Um, if you have bad service, you could partly blame me. I was like a junior <laughs> associate on the deal. It was a roll up of three different companies. So I am partly at fault. Well, I have uh, a, uh, I, I have Google Fi as my uh, phone service. And Google Fi runs on multiple different networks, and one of them is right. T-Mobile. And I have a little app that tells me. And right now, when I'm at home, it connects through uh, T-Mobile. So, but That's when it doesn't cool. work, it just flips over to Sprint. So, yeah. so, so when it, when it doesn't work, I can blame you that I'm using Sprint. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Then the dot com crash happened. I basically switched uh, the focus of my practice over to uh, real estate. Were you practicing on your own? Were you... Were yeah, you no, still, still, at, still at big firms. Um, so I practiced in real estate law. Then I ended up down in Florida. I was working at a uh, 
good-sized Florida-based firm and doing some real estate development on the side. How did you get into real estate? Did you... What was that like your fallback idea when you started applying for transaction law jobs out of law school? <laughs> or was that uh, something you discovered and, and thought this would be, be a fun place to take your career after uh, the bubble burst? Well, I mean, the, the bubble, I happen to have relationships with partners in the real estate department who are really good people uh, at the firm I was at at the time. And I was able to segue over. So you uh, stayed at the same so it's, firm. It's called career preservation. I totally get that. You know, I was. Uh, a large telecom company I used to work for just in the last couple of weeks purchased another large telecom company I used to work for. And the reason I left the first one was because it had been purchased. So um, I know how that goes when you're thinking, oh, I can see the writing on the wall. I might not be here much longer unless I make a change. Yes. So yeah, I was in real estate development from about 2004 through... Uh, 2009. Was that uh, focused on commercial or residential, like big track projects? What kind um, of uh, real estate we were, were you doing? We were developing small residential developments and and an office building property. We also had a, a property that we took through, we're taking through the zoning process at the time uh, for assisted living facility. So I managed not to lose my shirt in that. So another, you know, bailed myself out again somehow. Um, <laughs> And I, I think because I was naturally transitioning out of that at the time because my wife and I had decided to move from South Florida. My wife was pregnant, just gotten pregnant. We decided to move from South Florida to Atlanta. We decided we were, we were not interested in uh, raising our kids in South Florida. Uh, we didn't want to live in a gated community. Uh, we didn't want to live in South Florida and pay over, for overpriced real estate like 20 miles from the ocean. That was the best move I ever, ever didn't make. Um, <laughs> And so we ended up in Atlanta where we've been living and, and happily. Did you have any family there? What was the big draw to Atlanta? I'd gone to college and in Atlanta. I've been back plenty since I'd graduated. I had a bunch of friends here. So I knew what I was getting into and it has a great legal job market. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, Atlanta's so big, you can find a job in almost anything if you're willing to drive far enough, right? I mean, right, right. The, the rush hour. I, I you know, be traveling around the world. I. I uh, always laugh at all the different rush hours, and every everyone says they have the worst traffic. I've, right. I've yet to find anyone who who says that they don't have bad traffic. But Atlanta was, was one of the worst drives I ever had to make. I left at like three o'clock to go somewhere that was fifteen miles away. It took me two hours. Yeah, <laughs> it was rough. so I actually used to keep a small office, probably like six minutes from the house, and I yeah. found that was actually too stressful for me. So I now just work out of the house. Keeping the office was too stressful, or the drive no, to the office. It's a, the six minute drive. I I get that. You know, I work. Yeah. I have a, a co working space. I go to sometimes. It's about ten minute walk. It would be a maybe maybe six minute drive. Probably like a three minute drive. Right. And um, it, it's just too too big for me to overcome. Some days. Yeah, often I'm so just I'm, working at I'm, home. I mean, when it's the six minutes, you know, you're like no problem. That's what I expect. But those times where the where the traffic backs up and it's like fifteen or twenty minutes. Just in there, I'm I'm angry. I don't want to be in the traffic. When you're sitting there and you know that you could just abandon your car and walk home faster. When they uh, had that <laughs> giant um, like snowpocalypse a couple years ago, my old boss who um, who's still in the Atlanta area, he he was there at a different company. I, I didn't know him yet. When the snowpocalypse happened, when there was that like 48 hour traffic jam through Atlanta, he said he got oh. out of his car, left it, walked um, a couple miles home with carrying one kid holding the hand of the other. And um, 
because they didn't want to spend the night in the car. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what I did. I parked my car near near uh, near a mall and walked the final three miles home because I'd been out meeting somebody for lunch. So I ended lunch around one and it started snowing. I mean, and this is like normally would have been like a 10 or 15 minute drive. Yeah. And I got home around, I think, eight o'clock at night. Oh, and that's... You know, I, I grew up in Colorado, so we we kind of laughed at Atlanta yeah. at that point. But then I moved to Portland, and we had snow, and the entire city shut down. So I was like, "Oh, so this is what happens when you don't live in Colorado and it snows, right?" Yeah. Well, <laughs> so so you uh, you work at home now still, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I have a. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm drinking a fizzy water, which I shouldn't do on a live show. Um, I get that. Actually, our our water here. I live um, right by the beach, which is awesome. But right. our water does not taste as fresh as we are to a salinated water source. It's yes. all hard and gross. So I drink mostly um, bubbly water I get from uh, from our Kroger brand here. It's called Ralph's. We drink a okay. lot of Ralph's bubble water. I get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm like I'm big into, La Cro- into Lacroix, and I'm I'm always My searching where I get, get it for the cheapest per can. <laughs> I love that. You got to get your, your most your most value per ounce. At, yeah, exactly. Lowest cost per ounce. That's what. And that's what personal finance is, is about sometimes, you know, getting your, your, your best bang for your, your penny or your buck. Right. Um, even so, if it's on bubble water. Exactly. So, <laughs> be- best bang for your buck. I like to think. And so, <laughs> nowadays, I, uh, I um, have my own small law firm. Mostly, I do uh, a wills, a trust, and estates work. And I do work with uh, some small business people as well on, on uh, smaller transactional deals than, than back in the law firm days. And... I have uh, the credit forms and credit shout websites. I guess I've I've always been into uh, personal finance. What was it about personal finance that hooked you in in the beginning? I I, I don't know. Was like, your family into it? Was it or is that just? I mean, I were I, I hate to to go down the stereotype joke. We both have uh, a very Jewish sounding name, so I know yeah. caring about money you know, runs through the tribe. But uh, what was it that spoke to you about personal finance? I have to say, I think it was my own OCD type nature. Um, Did you ever have any big finance issues that you had to work through? Or were you always just on top of things? It was just part of your nature. I think it's just part of my nature. I mean, it started out in college where I, along with a couple of friends, we wanted to know all the places we could go and eat for $5 or less or $10 or less for unlimited food. Um, that, sounds like you know, an, that sounds like an app idea. Is there an app for that? Um, maybe today, but you probably have to up the limits, you know, since <laughs> this was 1990 to 1994. My dad, um, I was still, I was talking to the other day, he gets mad, like, when he goes to Chipotle and he sees it's like 7 or $8. He's like, that's a dinner time price. That's not a lunchtime price. It shouldn't yeah. be more than $5. Like, yeah. dad, it's, it's 2016. Prices aren't reasonable anymore. And... <laughs> Um, now I'm the one with a kid who walks uphill both ways to school in snow, I guess, for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, so back in the day, I started out, I was just trying to spend less money on food so that I have more money on beer. I under That's a totally respectable that budgeting technique. You know, I, I will say on, on uh, you know, for longtime readers and listeners, it's okay to spend money on things like beer or Starbucks or whatever your thing is. As long as you can find a place elsewhere you can save that lets you pay for that. So for you, yes. it was budget eating let you increase your beer budget. 
which I think is a totally respectable decision. Like I, I recently, uh, a few years ago, I cut my cable. I did the math about a month ago. It saved me right. $4,200 in the couple few years since I've cut cable. I was spending about $70 a month. And, right. So uh, how are you getting internet? Well, I, st- I have cable internet. I didn't for a okay. while. I had DSL, but I don't have cable TV. Right. Yeah. So I, I was the day I was back in uh, Colorado then, and there your internet options at the time were Quest, it, now CenturyLink, and Comcast. And I hated Comcast with such a passion. So right. I, I have to figure out how to stop giving them money. And I realized if I don't watch TV anymore, I can stop giving them money and get my internet somewhere else. And um, that's what I did. <laughs> right. Well, I guess I'm lucky in my neighborhood, we have uh, multiple. Um, well, you have Google Fiber in Atlanta, right? It is, yes, it's going to be in my neighborhood soon. We have Google Fiber, we have Uverse Fiber, and then we have Comcast. Yeah, here so, we, I have, I'm in a small city now in uh, like Central California coast, not right. too far from Santa Barbara. So we, we don't have as many options. We just have, uh, if I want real fast internet, it's just Charter. Right. Um, so, so Charter so, yeah. is. <laughs> so, so last year I moved to Uverse and I took the fiber package. And for $20 more a month, I think it was, you get 200 channels, free HBO for three years and a phone. So I was like, oh, well, that's 20 bucks. That, that's, yeah, that's a good bang for your buck. Speaking of bang <laughs> for your buck. Right. And since my wife and I both work from home and, uh, you know, and uh, we, occasionally like to, we occasionally like to stream a movie, we, we thought we, you know, we, we, we enjoy having the, the fiber. Do you have that gigabit speed? Oh, you can't. I mean, I don't have the equipment to approach it, unfortunately. But I will say it's definitely tw- at least twice as fast as my um, Comcast uh, high speed was. That's awesome. I'm a little uh, jealous. And my parents come and visit, and my mom's like, oh, my God, your speeds are so fast. You're all going to do a speed <laughs> test. I have an app. Well, I, uh, I got my parents set up with uh, – I have a uh, Google OnHub router. And I used to have all these internet problems, and I, I'm, I'm a pretty techie guy, so I had like the fancy TP-Link routers, and I was tweaking all the settings myself and going in and you know, changing everything. And um, a lot of I, like techie geeks like me hate the OnHub router because you can't do that. But it just kind of works. I've not had any problem. I plug it in and that, that's it. it. It works. And I set my parents up with the same thing. They had internet problems forever. Um, with, with Comcast, they had the wireless router Comcast gave them. Right. Plugged in an OnHub to the router and uh, turned off the Wi-Fi on it. Boom. It was great. And I did the same thing for my in-laws. So um, if, if, you're, if you feel like your bottleneck is your, in your home network, I highly recommend that. Yeah. Well, my, my personal experience, those new wireless end routers, you get much greater range out of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, as, is, a, as, this is an AC. So, it's, yeah. um, it'll go like a gig per second, but the because, internet coming right. in is so much slower. Yeah. So, so I'm not hitting a gigabit speed, but we're getting, pre- we're getting very fast speeds up, I think up to 100 megabytes. Yeah, and um, I mean, even for like 4K, like you don't really need faster than that. Yeah, and I'm getting, and my Wi-Fi is now like reaching out to the front street, way into the backyard. So you know, I'm 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 covered wherever Sweet. I'm, uh, wherever I'm walking around. I love it. Anyway, so enough about tech nerds. Back to money okay. nerds. So yeah, so you always had this this money gene in you. You were yeah, always that, focused. So when I'm in law school, I just started. I went out and I when I was in law school is when I had my first computer. Yeah, I know I'm old. Um, <laughs> And, you know, all you could buy at that time were word processing programs and like Quicken. So I was like, ah, well, I'll buy Quicken. I started keeping track of my spending. I wanted to know where my money was going. 
Which then, I mean, now nowadays, what do you use now to track where your money is going? I, I I have a Mac and I use the Quicken for Mac. It's okay. You st- you still is it your same personal file that you started all those years ago and you've just kept upgrading and upgrading? No, no, because I I actually for many years I enjoyed uh, Microsoft Money, which they stopped making I think around two thousand four. Yeah. And I was like legacy supporting that uh, up until I switched to my Mac in 2010. I'm a, I've been a uh, Mint guy since 2007, on and off. You know, I, I've I've always had the same account since 2007. It was brand new then, and I've yet to find you know the exact perfect app that I want. I've thought about building one, and, and there's right. some close ones you know, like Personal Capital. I love. I use it myself. At, uh, personalprofitability.com slash personal capital is my referral link. What's cool about personal capital is it, you know, it takes all your investments and gives you all this awesome investment analysis on your retirement accounts and what your fees are. But there's, it's kind of weak on budgeting. You go to Mint, right. um, they have all these budgeting tools, but the investment stuff is, isn't even accurate for my account. Um, it, it didn't know how to handle a stock split a few years ago. I was like, if you can't handle that. Uh, and then there's <laughs> connection problems all the time. So it's like, what's the, what's the perfect solution? The best one I found right now for me is personal capital, but there's, right. there's, uh, you know, I've tried YNAB. You need a budget. I've tried all these different budgeting apps. So it's always interesting to hear what people use. So it's, it's quick and. Oh, 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 okay. So I don't think there's any, I like the guys from personal capital, by the way. I've met them at FinCon and they're great. Oh, yeah. I have yet personally to find anything that's great for tracking your investments and having a budget on. That's like they I've, think you, you people need one or the other. What about people yeah. who want to budget and Which invest? Is, and it's funny because I just actually always create my, our annual budget with my wife in Excel. You're doing it old school. And, and then I put it and then I input what I want in, into Quicken to track it during the year. And then at the end of the year, I export it back out to Excel. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I, I was an Excel junkie for uh, when my right. before I start went online full time. I was uh, using Excel like eight to ten hours a day. Right. So I know the Excel feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if I really wanted to go crazy, I'd, I'd give up automatic downloads and just you know e- manually enter everything myself. Or, Those or automatic downloads—that's like big time uh, saver. There, there's a, there's kind of two philosophies in that, right? You know, there's like the Wineab philosophy, which is you should manually input everything because that makes you think about what you're spending. Right. But then on the other side, I'm like, I would never do that. I just know my myself, I would I, I can't do anything manually. Like I try to automate like little stupid things in my life. Like I read about this guy who um created a script at his office that he could push a button on his computer and he'd hacked into the Keurig at the company's office and set it so he was like a certain number of steps from his desk. It would turn on the Keurig. Like it would like delay right. like seven seconds. So when he got there to the, to the machine, his coffee was waiting. It's that like, guy is my hero. Like that's the level of awesome that like, I, I got an Amazon echo, yeah. I have a Google home on the way. It's not here yet. Like I want like everything in my life automated. Like that would be yeah. so fun. <laughs> so, well, there's, there's no way I'm doing the manual entry because between me and my wife, I, so then my next step was I graduated law school and I I get this mailer from Duke. Oh, would you like the Duke University credit card because a percentage of your contributions go back to the school as a donation? And I was like, oh, that's cool. But I get no like tax benefit out of it. No, nothing back to me besides like, you know, feeling good about 
about not, like I, I, I also have and they don't feelings. need my money. I also have mixed feelings about like when schools ask for donations. Like undergrad, I went to the University of Colorado. I got a full ride scholarship. If they ask for money, I'm like, cool, you guys let me go here for free. That's awesome. I kind of feel like I owe one to them, but it also came from the Boy Scouts. It wasn't just from the university. So, so those ones I feel like I should get back to. My MBA, I paid them $67,000 and they gave me like $3,000 in scholarship on that. So I'm like, really? Do I need your credit card or to donate to you? I'm like I already yeah. gave you my donation. <laughs> and and that's so that's when one of my colleagues at work was like introduced me to rewards credit cards. And so that's once I got my first rewards credit card, I was like, everything I spend has to be on a credit card. Totally, because why should why should you spend money and not get free stuff? Yeah. So now I don't take it as far as some. I have one friend here in Atlanta, and I don't know how he manages it. He's his wife describes it as a multiple spreadsheet scenario, but apparently he has opened eighteen cards in the last eighteen months. Wow! I, I have like fourteen all the rewards right so now. that they could travel, you know, for free. I actually got turned down for the first time for a credit card uh, last week, which is a super bummer. There's a new one; it's called the Chase Sapphire Reserve. Yeah, it has a hundred thousand point sign up bonus right now. Uh, it, it's this awesome card, it, uh, but it has a $450 annual fee. So it's definitely not for everybody. Right. A hundred thousand point sign up bonus after spending, it was like three or $4,000 in the first three months, which that's no big deal. Um, especially with manufactured spending. So there's that. There's a $300 statement credit you get on the first dollars you $300 you spend right. a year on travel. So that like offsets your annual fee. So it's really more like a hundred dollar annual fee and you get lounge right. access, all these things. I was like, sweet. I want this card. But Chase has this new rule. They call it the 524 rule, where if you've yeah. gotten five new credit cards in the last 24 months from any issuer, they won't give you this one. There's a few cards they have. So I've heard a few people said that if you go in branch, they can sometimes overturn them if they turn you down for the 524 rule. But right. I so had my no friend, luck. My I friend did get it. turned down for that card, did go into branch, is still turned down, and now is thinking about uh, becoming a Chase private client. I was like, how much work are you going to do for this card? It's so a pretty he sweet told card. Me, he told me the, the real reason he wants it also. Yes, it's sweet, the 100,000 points, but also the $300 annual credit on, the, on your travel that they'll give you. And that's that's, that's that, every calendar year, not right. every card year. You could use it okay. twice in your first card year if you take it out by the end of this year. Which is brilliant. So you could get 600 a credit on a 450 fee, get the 100,000 points, transfer that those out to United. and so Maybe uh, I need to be a private client too. Um, <laughs> so he's like, I'm, he's just like, he's fixated. He wants it. So, so speaking of credit cards, so that, that's your thing now is credit, credit scores, credit cards. Right. How did you, so how did you leap into doing this professionally from law? Uh, I, I, I Why don't you kind of do both? It's, it sounds yeah. So this is this right. I'm I'm still doing both. So I'm still practicing law, and and I'm and I'm working on the website. So, so, so that's like the side hustle of law is the uh, the primary hustle. Yeah, and 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 you know it's just it's fun. Totally. So what what I mean, inspired we are, you? We're talking what? about like crazy credit card reward schemes. And, you know, eating $5 all-you-can-eat noodles so you can have more money for beer that night. I mean, 
Oh, this one, like, is that now a normal people sit around and talk about? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But you know, I, <laughs> I'm trying to maximize how much I enjoy life, and that means you know, s- spending as little as possible on on stuff that's unimportant, and and saving some money, and spending most on things that entertain me. Totally. One of my wife's uncles has actually like he did well enough in his career. He's retired now. He w- has no need to travel hack. But I think I kind of hooked him into it as a as a hobby. Yeah. He's great. I, I love hanging out with him. And every time I see him, he's like, "So what's the hot new card?" And, right. And when I saw him last weekend for my daughter's first birthday at, at her party, I said, "Sapphire Reserve. Let's see if, if you can get it because I can't." <laughs> so I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna follow up with you. I'm gonna apply for that card. Uh, I'll probably do it like over Thanksgiving break when I have some time. I'm gonna apply for that card just to see what happens. Though so I'm gonna be like severely hurt. If I have taken out too many cards to violate their 524 rule, and what, what the real bummer is, you know, for so so we both know, and for people who are listening, how, how credit card companies make money. So there's there's kind of three main ways they make money. So one right. is interest. So if you carry a balance month to month, you pay an interest charge on right. it. Every listener of this podcast, I hope you pay your card in full every month, so you're not paying interest. So that's method one. Number two is fees, you know, being annual fees, late fees, things like that. Um, annual fees, sometimes you can get them to waive, sometimes not. Late fees, you shouldn't be paying because you should be making on-time payments. But the annual fee, uh, if you're getting more value from the card than the fee, totally worthwhile. That's why, you know, I have a a few cards that have about a $100 annual fee in my pocket, in my right. wallet, because I get hundreds of dollars in free travel from them. So then yeah. the the last way is interchange, which interchange it, or, or a type of fee when you swipe your card, the business pays two, three, four, five percent. That's why a lot of businesses say you know minimum purchase now, or um, you know there's an extra charge if you use a credit card, which used to not be allowed by the credit card companies. Now it's allowed. So right. those are the way those are the ways they make money. But be, knowing that you know even if you aren't paying an annual fee and don't pay interest, every time you use the card, they're making money from you. So right. me putting most of my spending on Chase cards and my business spending, I have a uh, the Starwood Preferred from M- MX. Um, right. Most of my my personal spending it either goes on my Sapphire Preferred or my uh, MX Everyday Preferred, depending on you know what gives right. the best bonuses where I'm going, or sometimes the Chase Freedom. You know we can go down that rabbit hole. Right. But, um, All right. So you want a quick travel hack? Good sure. for about the next uh, fourteen months. You could take out. Marriott and Starwood now, because of the merger, are going to are allowing transferability of points between the yeah, two rewards yeah. program. You could take out the Marriott Rewards card and the Starwood Rewards card, get the sign up offer from both of them, and transfer them to whichever program has the hotel you want to use. And basically, or I mean, all by to, uh, my Starwood and get, transfer them to an airline with the five thousand point bonus, on yeah, twenty thousand points, and even now you're better. flying. Yeah, I mean, so th- there, yeah, there's g- for like until they uh, uh, end the transferability between the program. There, there, you know, there's a lot of ability actually to double down with that one chain in terms of rewards cards. It's a very cool door that opened up from that merger. So, and until they uh, finish the merger, uh, which I think ultimately will probably move towards Marriott's program, yeah, not Starwood's yeah. awesome program. So. We'll probably see that go away, but uh, while it's still there, you know, take advantage. That's so, so you, so we know that you know, credit card companies are making money from us. 
Right. Um, from our swipes, even if we're not paying them all this stuff. So that's part of why I was really mad when I didn't get it. I'm like, like I, I use all these chase cards all the time. You yeah. make so much money on me. I have a perfect credit score. I've never had a late payment. You won't give me this card still. It, it made me feel spiteful towards chase. Yeah. I, I would understand. I, that's why I'm like, I'm reluctant to take it out because I think my ego would be bruised if I was turned down, even if it was, you know, not over my credit history, but over a simple rule. Like the five twenty four rule feels so arbitrary, and I get why yeah. they do it. But but still. we but we take out a new rewards card every year at the end of the year, just before we pay our insurance bill. Yes, so you can a, hit the uh, boat, get the bonus from the we insurance. We get the bonus basically from the one transaction buying the with the homeowners and the auto insurance. And that's great. Right. And and we get a discount for paying the whole year in advance. So it's it's like double discount. Which yeah, that's. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. <laughs> so stuff like that, you know, I'm, I'm not as crazy as some, but but I do enough stuff like that that I, I may very well have had five new cards in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, so I've had, yeah, I, I'm definitely over 524. I mean, that's why they turned right. me down. So, so if you're not trying to get the Sapphire Reserve and someone's listening and they, they don't have awesome credit, they know, let's say they want to get the Sapphire Preferred or, you know, right. or an Amex card, ones that that have... Know, tougher credit requirements. What? How? What would you advise someone who has kind of mediocre credit? You know, they're not down in the dumps. They have a few late payments. They're kind of let's say average credit score or somewhere low six hundreds. How would you coach them to take the right steps to get their credit up into the range where they can get these best rewards cards? I mean, I I think it all first starts where where we kind of started, which is the budget. You got to get your spending under control. If you can do that, I mean, the biggest things, factors affecting your credit score are going to be your payment history and your credit utilization. That's like 65% of your credit score between the two. What actionable steps could people take to fix those two areas of their credit? Yeah. Well, first, you know, like you said, make sure your pills are always paid on time. Yeah. Uh, Set up the automatic payments. Make sure you always have money in your checking account. Get those bills paid on time. The second thing I would say is you want to aim to get that you're using no more than 30% of your uh, available credit. But the lower, the better. The lower, the better. I mean, the, the people with the highest credit scores are going to be using 10% or less. Yeah, my, um, I usually, and I pay mine off in full every month, but even if right. the snapshot of my credit is that's sent to the credit scoring bureaus is taken mid-month when I have a higher balance, it's still, even at that point, never than you know, maybe 5% of my total credit. So I'm always... Right. But I also have very high credit limits. So Correct. if I put a I couple mean, thousand dollars on, that, that's a drop in the bucket on my total right. outstanding credit availability. Yeah. Now, people, there are people out there who say that you should run a balance to show that you're utilizing credit. But that's actually not correct because you're just paying it's interest. A total myth. Total myth. And what does happen is when when they do when your credit report is pulled, it's always going to show unless you haven't used the card in a couple months. It's always going to show some small balance on the card because they're always floating you money, especially the cards that you use on a regular basis. Because it was probably know, a place some float out there even that. after you pay your bill in full, you've used money since the billing period ended. Right. So, but the the, the idea is stop stop paying. The interest fees get you know stop spending money you don't need to spend you know if you need to cut cable and just go with uh, Netflix for a year, I mean that does save a lot of money. 
just like you said. That's uh, uh, if you're paying seventy dollars a month. That's uh, seven yeah. eight hundred and forty dollars a year, right there. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I think a lot of people are doing right now to uh, to help pay off the bills. I mean, there are so many great uh, balance transfer cards out there, giving you twelve months, eighteen months, twenty one months interest free financing on your balance transfers. That's what uh, if you know Sandy Smith from um, Yes, I am cheap. She. She helped finance her business growth with credit cards using 0% transfer offers. And she always had enough money in an emergency fund. She knew she could just pay it off. Right. But when you're getting free money, she thought, well, I'm just going to float it from card to card. Well, I build this up. And now it's a successful business that has paid off the cards or is paying off the cards. But that's right. how she started. Watch, so watch out for the high transfer fees. Yes. A couple cards like the, like, uh, the uh, Chase... Chase Freedom and Freedom Unlimited, they're offering 18 months of uh, balance transfer offer, but they are charging a 5% transfer fee. So you pay uh, for it somewhere. So whereas you could go with the, the Chase Slate, uh, if you have excellent credit, but just a running balance, you go to the Chase Slate, no balance transfer fee. Which actually my, uh, my wife might be getting one of those. We were looking at... Um, she has the Southwest card. And we actually... We decided against this because uh, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> it was, uh, a, a common technique for, for travel hackers. So one of the factors in your credit score is how long your cards have been open. Yeah, and don't if, close your cards. Right. So if you get to an, a card with an annual fee that you're thinking, okay, I don't want this anymore. A lot of people would say, well, I'll just close it. Right. I mean, that's right. a logical thing. But a lot of people don't know. Let's say you have a uh, Chase Sapphire preferred well, that's a bad example because it's an awesome card that I wouldn't want to get rid of. Let's say, right. like, let's say the British Airways card. You know, it's a good card. You got the bonus, used it for a while. Um, you're you're using your your spend elsewhere. Um, rather than call them up and say close this card, you could say, "Hey, can you convert it to a um, a slate which has no bonus and right. um, no annual fee?" They can convert it. You have the same account number. It reports to your credit the same way. You're total credit available stays high, which helps that percentage we were just talking about. And um, it doesn't shorten your, your average age of open accounts. Right. That's, uh, that's a good point. But uh, it's always good to have a couple cards, no fees, that you, even if you don't use them that much, keep them open. And how often would you suggest using a card so the banks don't close them for inactivity? You probably would need to use it you know, a couple times during the course of a year. Yeah, so I've I had a couple yeah. closed that I hadn't used much, and um, right, and I get uh, why because I didn't use them. Right, I have a Citibank card that I opened uh, years ago. Actually, to help finance my uh, the first purchase of the first iPad when that came out, and I don't think I've used it since. And they keep on mailing me new cards for it, and it still shows up in my bill view when I go there. That was so. my, that was the one that got closed recently. It was my old city cashback card I opened in like 2007, right. and I just kept it open and I used it like once or twice a year. And uh, yeah. they decided that wasn't enough, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, now if you have a good credit mix, so if you have a, a, a mortgage, and uh, that that's going to help as well. You know, they're not just seeing credit card debt. You know, car loan maybe, though. You know, I'm, I'm super cheap about my cars. I had a car uh, loan when I got my car, which I've now had for nine years. I don't... Yeah. It's a, it's a Toyota Love Corolla. It. The thing's going to last for 
you know, it'll, it'll, I'll probably get rid of the car in 15 years when my daughter turns 16. Yeah. That, that's You're probably driving it right by I, that point. I will give it to her and I will get something new in, in 16. Yeah. I'll, I'll just plan that into my budget. So whatever a car is going to cost and, but who knows what a car is going to look like? It's probably just going to drive itself. Honestly, I yeah. was, I was talking to my wife uh, a couple weeks ago. I said, do you really think our daughter's ever going to have to learn to drive? She was, she's a year old, just, just right. turned a year old. Do you think she's ever really going to need to drive a car? And my wife's like, well, I want her to know how to drive a car. I said, well, what if she could just get in the car and say school or home and it'd just take her there? And a lot of people are having trouble wrapping their mind around that. So whatever, whatever that, whatever, whatever we're riding around in, in, in right. 15 years. Well, I know a lot of uh, <laughs> personal injury lawyers, police officers, and members of the judicial community who would be out of jobs if we weren't giving out all those traffic tickets. I think that that would be an okay economic change. Uh, yes. Well, we, we would have less malinvestment. And we'd also uh, have uh, less drunk driving, less tired driving, people falling yeah. asleep. It could God save a lot of lives. <laughs> yeah. God bless Uber. Um, now, th <laughs> there are going to be some people out there maybe listening who, who – don't actually utilize a lot of credit cards. They're not maybe junkies like uh, apparently you and I are. And maybe they've never had an auto loan and managed to get through school without taking on any debt. But they want to get a mortgage someday. That, that, that's, that's rough. Uh, what, um, what do you do? So actually, it's some good news out of uh, Fannie Mae. They're changing the underwriting rules. They're updating them. This is going on right now. You know, that where these thin credit files, they're, they're getting underwriters to look at payment history, what percentage of the bill you're paying. Uh, they're looking at utility bills, even, you know, oh, you only car carry a small credit card uh, account, but, but every time you have a balance, you pay it in full when it's due. That's, they're finding that's actually a great indicator of an ability to uh, pay your mortgage as opposed to like, that that tight rope wire of having all this debt that you utilize all over the place. No, oh, the system um, is totally designed to encourage you to have right, more debt. And right. That they're, benefits they're, all the companies that are involved in credit and credit reporting if you have right. debt and pay interest on it. But you know, people who you know, people like the listeners to this podcast, you know, we we learn and we educate ourselves so so we're not just those victims. And hearing that they're making, you know, changes to um to, to empower people who have not been debt addicts. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and there are going to be people... Now, there are a lot of people who listen who totally spend within their means, but like us, want to, you know, garner credit card rewards because it's the same price. Mm -hmm. So, we, we might as well get, you know, some benefit. If I'm spending um, money, I might as well get something... Yeah. You know, but there are who, people who doesn't who like just, free stuff. Yeah. There are just people who won't do that, don't do that. Uh, they like to spend their money as cash. They, they think it helps them keep their spending under control. And I totally respect that. And I'm, I'm glad to see that we're taking positive steps so that, so that they're not negatively impacted in, in their ability to uh, finance a new home. So do you, there's a handful of services out there now where you can you maybe pay a company 10, 15 bucks a month to report your rent as a credit account to right. try to help increase your credit score. Do you think for people who are Kind of no credit people, those services are worth the cost. Ten or fifteen bucks? No, I don't think that's worth the cost. Not with these new rules, and they'll be and the underwriters looking at it. Yeah. I, now, if they I have mean, an option, uh, like my um, where I live right now, I'm renting I, currently. We have an option to if we pay online for five dollars a month, we can check a box and they'll report 
to the credit right. bureaus. Do you think for something like that, five bucks a month might be worth it? I'm just curious. I and mean, this, this is no right or wrong. It's kind of just yeah. your best gut feel. You know, I, I, to be honest, I am meeting a, I will follow up. I'm meeting a mortgage broker for coffee in like two weeks. Uh, for uh, he's part of a networking group I'm in. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna flat out ask him when we do our one to one. Well, I will uh, add that to the show notes but, so people can come back here and uh, and check out the show notes for this episode at, at personalprofitability.com slash blog, and um, um, and, we'll, and we'll follow up there. Yeah, I can't answer that. I know I'm, you know, I know people who are uh, in real estate who own, you know, what we call Class C apartment complexes. They don't pull your credit score. They go and they get other reports to to get your history on bill payments. You know, and, and it would just be what are the banks looking at when they pull your credit report? Because they get they get the whole report, they get the FICO score, but then they make their own adjustments based upon what they're looking at. So you could be sh- shoving a uh, uh, or paying five bucks to fifteen bucks a month to push a, a rent payment to that report, and it could be on there, and nobody could even take it into account. Yeah, which if you're uh, if you're paying a so, bunch of money, you don't want to pay money for something that'll be ignored by the underwriters. That's right. Yeah. So that that's why I I I, I don't know if that's uh, if that's going to be a benefit. But I definitely want to. I think it's interesting, and I want to look into it. Is uh, uh, I, I actually hadn't heard of these services. Um, there's always an angle, I guess. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a few of them out there that'll that you can pay them, and they will. Essentially, it looks on your credit report like you open a new credit card. Right. And each time you make a payment, they just say on-time payment, on-time payment. And if you when you cancel, they stop doing that. So, right. But, you know, the guy who works at the bank who's who's looking at your mortgage application might just take that and throw it out. So, D- that, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how they're going to take that into account. Yeah. So um, it's, it's an interesting uh, interesting thing to wonder about for, for what's coming next in the, in the mortgage world. And, yeah, and I mean, people t- trying to transition from renting. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, you know, might, I mean, the service like that actually might make it easier for you to rent. You know, because they, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, they want to know what your credit is when you're, when they're rent, when oh, they're totally. renting an apartment to you. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy how much your credit can really impact your life outside of just, you know, getting a mortgage or a car loan or a credit card. And if people look at it when you're applying for jobs. If you have any kind of, you know, financial responsibility in your job. That's usually part of the background check. That's part of my background check for every job I've had since college, other than the the short stint I had as a waiter. So, yeah. so that's well, um, you know, it, it's a it's a huge part of your life. Your credit's not a not a joke, even though we can laugh about it. It's not a laughing matter. Yeah, it's not. A, and you, you know, you can't even rent a car if you don't have a credit card. Yeah, I mean, you can some some will let you do it with a debit card, but then they yeah. this big hold. On your right. money in your bank yeah. account, which you a huge hold, which is usually beyond what people have in available to them in their account. Right, especially um, if you're uh, and if you're someone who only has a debit card, that makes it even more likely you probably have less in your account, um, just because you have uh, a typically right. less complex financial setup. Yes, and you know if you don't have credit cards and you try to use cards and you move to the prepaid space, there are all sorts of fees associated with those where they nickel and dime you on everything. Yeah. Though some new uh, regulations were recently released from the uh, CFPB. So hopefully there'll be more transparency about those fees, but they're not all going away. Yeah, totally. Uh, the CFPB is doing great work. I'm, I'm excited about 
their their future. Hopefully, they don't just become another you know useless dead weight of government bureaucracy, and, and they keep up doing the good work they're doing because they're doing some cool stuff. Well, we'll wait and see. We I'm, wait not, and see. I'm not even going to venture there. The, the, the potential third rail of policy discussion <laughs> <laughs> well uh well we can chat about that offline sometime we are we're all coming up at the the end of our our time so let's say somebody thinks this david rubenstein is someone they they want to follow they want to connect with they want to know where they can find you online where should they go uh you can go to well if you want to let your own thoughts be known you can go to uh, creditforums.com where we have as it says a forum talking about credit cards Rewards cards, cards after you've had a bankruptcy, where we talk about how uh, people talk about getting out of debt, or just really anything uh, related to their financial situation. And then if you want to read about different credit cards, so they probably get that from you too, uh, <laughs> or tips to improve your credit score, you know, what we think about uh, ways uh, to, uh, to get the debt collector off your back, you know, any, anything like that. It tips to saving money, then you would go to creditshout.com. Excellent. Well, everyone, I hope you do go check out those sites. Um, I, I checked them out before we got on the show. They're excellent resources. And uh, David, thanks for coming on and being a part of it. Any last parting words to uh, to share with the listeners? Actually, I, I do want to thank you, Eric, for having me on. This was a, this was a great time. Um, and uh, thank you for letting me also enjoy my delicious LaCroix. Uh, oh, and I get no money for that product placement. I know. It's, I talk about all these products. The only one that I might get any money from is if someone signs up to uh, personal capital through my link of everything I mentioned right. this show. <laughs> well, I, I should I, get. I should just be like a walking billboard. I should get paid money to, to just talk about products all day. I guess there's well, people that do that, but then people wouldn't want to listen to me, right? I will encourage people to go to your site and um, sign up for personal capital because I've used their tools. Uh, they're fantastic. The people... Uh, behind that company are really great people and I'd love to see them succeed in the space. Yeah, they're doing and some I think, totally I, cool I think stuff. their best time, their best years are ahead of them. I think they're they're doing some good stuff. Yes, I, I totally agree. And that if you want that link again, it's personalprofitability.com slash personal capital. Well anyway, thank you so much, David, for being here. Thank you listeners for making it to the end. If you enjoyed this show, think it's worth five stars, you know, hop on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, drop a rating. That's the uh the only advertising I have for this show is your word of mouth. So if uh if you find this stuff useful, please tell a friend. Um it means the world to me. And thank you again, David. Thank you to to everybody for being a part of this community. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.